Father God, thank you so much that you do love us. Thank you that you are powerful and that you will things to happen and they do. And Lord, thank you that it is your will that we be your children and that, that it is your will, Father, that none should be snatched out of your son's hand. Thank you that it is your will that we should become transformed into the person of Jesus, into the image of him. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is your will that we know you. Thank you that it is your will that we be like you. Father, would, would you see your will done? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we, we are like Pharisees and the reporters going, can it be true? Surely it's not what? So often, Lord, we, we go, wow, God, would you do that? But we're here today, Lord, because you've shown that you are God. We want to follow you with all of our lives. And so please help us to do that today and throughout this week. And I pray now as we, as we listen to the sermon or as I speak the sermon or as we interact through the sermon, Lord, would you, would you help us to understand? Lord, would you help us to live it? Would you help us to set you first? Lord, it is our desire that you be most important in our lives, our first thought, our last thought, our every thought with you. Lord, make us that. Thank you that that is your will too. Speak now, God, I pray to me and through me and to us. Amen. Right! Okay, you know what? Uh, you've been sitting down for a while, you've been watching TV. TV on a Sunday morning, how bad? So what I'm going to get you to do is turn to a person next to you, groups of two or three, uh, we're going to do a little bit of brainstorming. So just quickly, you've got five seconds to turn to someone here. You just get into the room. Three, four. Uh, I don't care. The more people you are, the loud you're going to have to talk over each other. Okay. It's a bit early, says Val. I don't know why. So what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to talk about, just for one minute before I get into my uh, monologue, talk about how important is the Old Testament? Do we still have to obey it now that Jesus has come? And what bits do you obey and what bits don't you obey and why? So just talk about Old Testament. Why do you still have to follow the Old Testament? That's the big one. You have to follow it. Do you? Why? Why not? Go. Do you have to obey the Old Testament?
Who says we should still obey the Old Testament? The Old Testament law and prophets. That, well, let's just say, who should, should we obey any of the Old Testament? Who says we should obey all of the Old Testament? Who says Jesus has come and that means it's no longer in force over us? Okay. Who says? Beg your pardon, Bill. Um, I was listening over here. Wayne was talking about uh, Israelites not being allowed to actually breed donkeys for themselves, mules for themselves. Um, it's probably not an issue for most of us. But do those kind of rules apply? Interesting, isn't it? Have a listen to what Jesus says. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, uh, speaking to the crowds. Remember, this is all in the underlining of Jesus teaching and preaching and healing people. And then he takes them. Yeah, you can turn around again if you want. Um, Jesus teaching, preaching, healing. uh, And he brings the crowds and those very people around him. And he starts saying, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And... And the people he says God blesses are not necessarily the religious elite, but it's the, well, it's the everyday people. In fact, the very first one he says is blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, the, the, the poor in spirit, uh, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not because they deserve it, but because God's kingdom has impacted on them. And we spoke a little bit further last week about Jesus saying to those very same people, uh, the, the kind of people you go, God would choose What? And Jesus is saying to them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Uh, and we saw uh, that, that we are asking God to make us that. When God's kingdom comes, uh, it becomes that. There's a great poem written by an anonymous person in the church. Uh, if you read in the bulletin, uh, it will be all about that. I recommend reading that if you haven't yet. Uh, or listen to the sermon. And we come on now uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Let's read from last week's passage uh, on to the end of this week's passage. You're the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. A lamp is instead placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment, and you teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of the heavens. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of the heavens. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of the heavens. So... 
Is the Old Testament still a force to be reckoned with? Says Jesus, absolutely. Then as now the religious elite were, well they were the better than you people. And, and they were very good at putting walls up around the laws of God. Uh, they, they, they assumed that God blesses those who are good enough. That God blesses those who are pure enough. That God blesses those whose, whose lives are not muddied too much. And Jesus, as we've seen, came in and he turns this world right side up and he says actually God's kingdom means that everyone can be blessed uh, the, the, the crowds around them around him he says you can be the salt and light and yes if there are Pharisees there who allow the imp- kingdom to impact them they too can be salt and light but, but Jesus is basically saying that those who are touched by the kingdom of God become the representatives of the kingdom of God they are the light of the kingdom they are the salt of the kingdom in this world But there's an issue here that that people might very well have thought that Jesus is coming here, he's going to be, what, to the lowest of the low, he's saying, even you, you are the salt, you are the light, not the religious guys. In fact, Jesus has a bit of a habit of bad-mouthing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they kill him. Uh, Jesus doesn't go to them and say, you are God's representatives, he goes to, well, he goes to anyone, he says... Whoever you are, just as you are, God's kingdom can transform you and make you his representative. And people might very well have thought and assumed that this meant that Jesus was starting afresh. That God was was starting afresh. Out with the old history. Out with the old attempt of Israel. Out with the law and the prophets and all of the practices of Israel. Was this another Noah moment? Starting again, scratch that, try again. That didn't work, did it? Really, now that Jesus has come, is the Old Testament obsolete? And yet Jesus comes and he, and he, and he knows people are going to start thinking in this way. And he turns to them and he says, actually, I have not come to abolish the Old Testament. I haven't come to get rid of the history that God has had with people. I'm not here to do salvation point, salvation version 3.0. Or even 2.0. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I certainly haven't. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, Jesus certainly doesn't reduce the Old Testament laws and requirements. In in fact, I'd like to suggest that the law and the prophets, they're just like a surface dusting of what God wants for our lives, of what God requires of those who belong to his kingdom. In fact, Jesus says that entering God's kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, it's all around us, but entering that kingdom requires a righteousness that goes beyond that, a, 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 a rightness, a, 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 a sense of being as you're meant to be, that goes beyond that of the religious elite. A righteousness that is not just about what you do, but, but that comes from within you, that bubbles up. A righteousness that is from the heart, that isn't just slathered on top of 
See, turning things right side up has always been God's plan, and it's what God had always been working towards. All of history since the fall, in fact, even before the fall, God knew what was going to happen, and he had his plan in mind. He wanted to reconcile humanity to himself, so that there would be one king himself. And God's plan has always been that all other pretend kingdoms would be undone. Remember, our big thesis is that a kingdom is the place where what you want to happen happens. If you want to put it in fancy language, it is the range of your effective will. It's where what you want to happen happens. God has a kingdom. He made us to have kingdoms under Him. My kingdom is where what I want to happen happens. Problem is, I'm a sinner, so what I want to happen is often bad and wrong and goes against God. And God says, no, I will be king. That is my plan. And I want you, I want to redeem you and bring you back under my kingdom where you will serve under me as, as, uh, as my representatives, as my prime ministers, as my people having dominion under me. But I will be king and I will brook no rival kingdoms. If you haven't heard that before, you probably haven't been to church in the last four or five months. Because I think I've mentioned that every week. This is God's plan. And and the law and the prophets were there to guide God's people in the ways of God. They were there to show God's people how to live a God-honoring life. Many of the laws were were a reflection and, and the instructions of God were a reflection of things in the heavens. The tabernacle set up. You know, you read through Leviticus. The first half is interesting about sacrifices and stuff. And then you start getting into the details of the tabernacle. Man, unless you're like an architecture student or, or artist or something. That, let's be honest, it's dry and boring. For me, 43, well not 43, but chapter after chapter of decorations this long and that long and this high and that color and there and there and then you get to the end of that and it goes and they made it and then it just repeats it again man what is that all about but it's a shadow it's a reflection of a spiritual reality because God wanted his people to live in the light of the reality of his kingdom And Jesus doesn't come as the bringer of the kingdom to throw all of that history away. Remember, Jesus came preaching. Do you remember what Jesus' good news is? Anyone yell it out? The kingdom of God is near. This is what Jesus preached. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Basically, come to me. All you are thirsty and I will give you you drink. I will give you life. And so Jesus doesn't come and throw out all that God has done as a failed attempt. God doesn't fail. God's purposes will be accomplished. And and it's not like the Old Testament was God's first try. And we just weren't up to the task and so we failed. The Old Testament was all part of God's plan to reconcile humanity and to establish His throne over all the world and worlds, including those ones, that the seven that they've just found 40 light years away. 
So why is it that we don't today follow the details of the Old Testament law? It seems quite simple what Jesus he says. He says, don't not follow it. Don't, don't, don't get rid of even the least tiny bit of the Old Testament law. Well, let's just say, for, for one thing, have to, do we have any Jewish people here? Okay, I'm not Jewish either. A lot of the Old Testament is a covenant between God and the Jewish people, and that's not us. We're adopted, but we're adopted into a new Israel. We're not adopted into the nation of Israel. And just as an aside, I, th- I think this is one of the areas we have to be really careful about uh, supporting Israel, the nation today, uh, as if they are all that matters. God has a new Israel. And, and quite frankly, if the current ethnic Israel is not following God, well, God's got, some, God got something in mind for them. But that's totally off the point. Um, in Acts, the early church was quite clear. They said, the Gentiles, what do we want to do? We don't, don't offer meat uh, sacrificed to idols, meat with the blood in it, uh, and don't avoid sexual immorality. I think those are the two things that they said to the Gentile believers. The church made a decision and said, no, as Gentiles, you don't have to follow all the laws that God made with Israel. This is the church under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Paul is very clear. In fact, he has a bit of a fight with Peter about this. He says, he says no, Peter, you're doing the wrong thing by refusing to eat with the Gentile people because the fact is that God has brought us all together. Paul says time and time again, you don't have to be Jewish to be a believer of God. You don't have to be Jewish to be a child of Abraham. Because by the way, Abraham, became, Abraham came before the Israelites. A lot of the law in the Old Testament also had to do with the national people of God. And in Jesus, the the barriers of nations have been broken down, like I just said. Israel, back in the Old Testament, was meant to be a holy nation. A a nation of priests is how God described them. And priests, a priest is not a priest for the priests. A priest is a priest for the people who aren't priests. Try and say that 12 times quickly. A priest is a priest for those who are not priests. Israel was meant to be a holy nation, a nation of priests, to the world around them. Their job was to show the world who God is, what God is like, the character of God, by how they lived their lives. And they were sinners, and so they messed up. But then Jesus came, and and, and I want to suggest to you that Jesus is Israel. Jesus is Israel. And all of us are welcomed into Israel through faith in Him. The new Israel isn't one nation descended ethnically, but but the new Israel is all who, like Abraham, put their trust in God. And the land that belongs to Israel isn't just one geographic spot, but who, who, what, what is the land of the, the people of God? Well, we saw it in the very first Beatitude, didn't we? Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's not the first Beatitude. That is the first Beatitude. Um, how about the, uh, uh, the meek one? 
got to find it now. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm looking at it and I just can't find the words. That's terrible. It's number five. Blessed are the meek. There we go. Verse five. It's even number verse five. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God's kingdom, what do we inherit? We, we inherit the earth. God's got bigger plans than in the Old Testament. By the way, the earth includes Israel, the national land of Israel, but it's bigger than that. You see, God doesn't come and make things smaller. God's plans get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Jesus says plainly, he says, I did not come to abolish what was. I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And some of what the Old Testament pointed to has now been fulfilled and eclipsed in Jesus. They were signs to the coming king, to the one who would bring God's kingdom. And Jesus has fulfilled them. Mark chapter 7 verse 19, Mark looks at what Jesus says and he says, oh yeah, by, by, by saying what Jesus has just said, if you want to turn there, uh, it's probably a good thing. Uh, Mark chapter 7 verse 19. Uh, can't you see, verse 18, that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through your stomach and then goes into the sewer. And this little bit, most people seem to think is Mark's commentary on it. Uh, by saying this, Jesus, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Peter had the same thing with the, the sheep coming down from the heavens. And he looked at it and, and a voice came from the heavens and said to him, Peter, kill and eat. And he looked at it and said, you're joking, right God? That's unclean food. And God said, hey, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And God had a bigger point there saying, we're going to accept the Gentiles. But, but there's something that has been fulfilled and eclipsed in Jesus. What about offering sacrifices? A whole bunch of the Old Testament has to deal with sacrifices. And then Jesus comes and says, I haven't come to abolish any of that, but I've come to fulfill it. And don't you dare drop anything out until it's been fulfilled. By the way, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. What about that bit about you need to have priests and all the instructions for the priests and this and that and cleanliness, uh, laws about ritual purity and that. And Jesus comes and Jesus went out and he touched the lepers. Because Jesus cannot be contaminated. And all those laws are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the priest. I love the way Hebrews puts it. He is the priest. Most priests, they go in and they make atonement once a year for the sins of themselves and for the people. And then they go out, and guess what they have to do next time? They do it again. They said, no, Jesus, says Hebrews, goes in, he made atonement for us, and then he sat down. He's done. Sorted, finished, it's been brought to a fulfillment. It's not like it's been abolished, it's just like it's been finished. I mean, yes, if you turn to Hebrews um, chapter 8, Verse 13, you might read and, and say that Jesus has abolished the Old Testament law. What, what does it say? That it says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the old, the first one, obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Yes, the Old Testament system is now obsolete. It's out of date. It will soon disappear. But it's disappearing because it's no longer required. 
And why is it no longer required? Because in Jesus it is fulfilled. And does that mean that we can get rid of the Old Testament? Well, we think so, don't we? We don't need the Old Testament. What do we do when we give someone a Bible? We give them a New Testament. Because you don't need to know the history of God's dealing with people. You don't need to know about sin. You don't need to know about the depravity of humanity. You don't need to know about how we keep trying and failing. You don't need to know about the character of God, which is revealed progressively through the Old Testament. You don't need to know because there's the New Testament. And you know what? That's true. You don't need to know that stuff because Jesus fully reveals God. But man, why would you go and watch a 3D movie with one high eye cover? That's just stupid. You can watch the movie, you might enjoy the movie, and you go, wow, this is pretty impressive stuff, but you're not seeing any of the 3D. The Old Testament is there, and it's important. And what's more, it teaches us the will of God. But have I not just done what Jesus has told us not to do? Jesus says, don't you dare put aside any of the Old Testament laws or teach someone else to do the same. Such a person will be called least in the kingdom of the heavens. And so the question I've got to ask myself is, well, what has Jesus fulfilled and what has Jesus not And so I better get a really uh, uh, nice spreadsheet up and I'm going to get all the rules down there and I can tick and go, oh, Jesus has done this one so I don't have to do that anymore. Okay, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do that. That sounding right? That, sound, that, that sounds good to me, but I'm, I'm a legalist. Hopefully a recovering legalist. That's rubbish, isn't it? When Jesus says we can't set aside even the least of God's commandments, he's giving about the commands that he's talking about the commands that given us God has given us throughout time. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the end of the law, but that doesn't mean that I can reject the law. In fact, the opposite is the case. If you've got your Bibles open with you there, just flick across quickly to, uh, to Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 4. God, uh, let's read from verse 3. God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving the son... His son is a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow the sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. He speaks about the law being fully satisfied for us. The law of God doesn't no longer apply to us it is just fully satisfied in Jesus for us, but, but it is still God's law. It is still a reflection of God's character. It is still a reflection of God's heart. Let's just be very clear uh, over here. Jesus says, if you 
don't obey it and teach others not to, you'll be the least in the kingdom of the heavens. And the one who, who obeys and teaches others to obey God's laws will be greatest in the kingdom of the heavens. Uh, just a really important thing to notice there. It doesn't say they will be kicked out of the kingdom of heavens. And it doesn't say they'll be allowed into the kingdom of the heavens. It just says least or greatest. Entry into the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God, is through faith in Christ. It's got nothing to do with the law. But those who who follow God's law will be called great in the kingdom. And those who reject God's commands and teach others to do so will be called the least. So does that mean, again, that we have to obey all of these commands? Not if they've been fulfilled in Jesus. We don't have to offer sacrifices for our sins because Jesus has done it. I don't need to atone for my sins because Jesus has done it. I don't have to stone people for various offenses because Jesus has already taken their punishment. What I need to do is to look at the law and try and see what God's heart is behind the law. Why did God say to stone adulterers? Why did God say not to eat certain things? Different people come up with different answers and there's all sorts of debates, but we need to be asking the question. We need to be saying, what is the heart behind that? And we need to also be asking the question, what has Jesus done about that? So, for example, why did Jesus say to stone um, adulterers? Well, it's because he wanted his people to be pure and holy and right. What has Jesus done? Jesus has come and said that all who trust in him are made right. They have his rightness. Therefore, do I need to stone some people? No. But what is the heart behind that? The heart behind it is that he wants his people to be holy. Why does he want them to be holy? Well, he wants them to be a light to the world. He wants them to be the salt of the earth. And if they're living in ways that are not like that, they're not going to fulfill that. And so what, is, what do I have to do out of that? Well, I have to look at myself and go, well, how is my life lining up with God's ambition? And, and if I find someone who is committing adultery or, or whatever, any of those things, it is my responsibility as a fellow Christian to go to them and say, this is not what God has rescued you to be. You are a representative of Jesus and you are dragging His name through the mud. The world is looking at you. We need to say that to ourselves. We need to say that to each other. We start by saying, Jesus has made you holy. And we finish by saying, and God wants you to live a holy life. But Jesus has fulfilled that part of the law. And there's all sorts of areas where Jesus, where Jesus hasn't yet fulfilled the law. Well, there's laws which, which clearly still apply. We, we can talk through those. But the law is not about ticking a box. The law is about what comes from within us. 
The Pharisees went around and they tried to figure out which laws they had to keep and which laws they didn't have to keep. And in fact, just so that they made sure they didn't break the ones they had to keep, they put up little walls around them and they made 400 and whatever extra rules to make sure that they didn't break the proper rules. Oh, it's so tiring. And Jesus turns and says, okay, by the way, your rightness before God has to be greater than theirs in verse 20. Yes, you spiritually bankrupt people. How? Well, the only way is if the kingdom of God comes and breaks through and gives us a rightness because there's no way that my rightness is going to exceed that of a religious expert. You see, we can make up rules and say, this one I have to keep and that one I don't have to keep. And, and, and Paul says in Colossians that chapter 2 verse 23, I think it is, yep, 2 verse 23, he says, you know, we can make up all these pious sounding rules and regulations and, and we can be strict on ourselves and we, can, and we can be strict on others and they sound good and we sound like we are fighting a good fight and we're doing a good thing and aren't I better than you? But the problem, says Paul, all these rules that we said that we've been living by the rules, it actually has no power to change my heart. The only way to get a rightness that is beyond that of the Pharisees is to have a rightness that is in my heart. And the only way to get a rightness that is in my heart is for God to put it there. And God says that He comes and He lives in those who turn to Him and say, God, I want to follow You. He baptizes us with His Spirit, which means we are in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. His righteousness shining out of me. And you know the amazing thing, Ezekiel chapter 36 links some things together. He links the putting of God's law in our hearts with the putting of God's spirit in our hearts. Because if we sprinkle the law on top of us, it will wash away and the heart will just seep gunk out and it will look disgusting. What we need is a rightness that comes from within. And if there is a rightness within us, whatever's inside of us leaks out. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? What's really happening inside of your heart, inside of the person that you are, the things that you think about, the things that you base your lives around, they leak, don't they? Sometimes they leak embarrassingly. But Jesus is saying, you need to leak Jesus. Because your righteousness, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to have God's perfection. I know I've got that. I'm a bit worried about some of Now I look at myself and I go, wow, I could do with a top-up, thanks God. See, that's the wrong attitude, isn't it? I don't need a top-up. I need a, I need a total transfusion. And I bet you do too. If God is living in us, then God will be working His righteousness into our lives. And He is transfusing us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to act according to His will.
Let's finish because we're going over time. Jesus is going to explore in the next few weeks what the kingdom life looks like. Um, And for those of you who think being a Christian means um, we just sit back and go, well, Jesus did it all. Jesus has got some heavy things to say. Jesus doesn't abolish the Old Testament law. In fact, he brings it into focus. And he shows us the depth that the Old Testament law just couldn't bring. He shows us the heart behind the laws. He shows us the heart of God. Because kingdom life is the life of God. A life that is love, even to our enemies. And by the way, when Jesus says, if your enemy hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, Jesus wasn't just saying a nice saying, and we go, ha ha ha, it doesn't work that way. Jesus was being serious. And what do we do with bits? Like, like the one where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Three spoons in two weeks Sunday. Not really. What do we do with that? But... That's not making it easier, is it? So work hard. Because the Christian life is about working hard to be the right person. You're shaking your head, but hey, that's true. But that's only half the picture for goodness sake. Stop working hard and trust God. Because I can only work hard on that if I'm trusting God. You know what? Everything within us doesn't want to trust God. We want to work hard. We want to work hard. We want to be good enough. We want to say, we can do it, God. One day, we'll we'll stand before Him and go, look, God, I did it! And He'll go, that's very nice. You can go to the list. Please think you can do Hey, God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. He doesn't want us to be caught up in working hard for Him. He just wants us to be with Him. And if we're with Him, He works in us. He he transforms us so that we want to do the things that He wants us to do. And so it's less about working hard and more about just being the person we want to be. But does that involve choices? Of course it involves choices. Every single moment of every day we go, what person do I want to be? Do I want to be the person who sins in that way or do I want to be the person who follows God? Do I want to be the person who swears when someone cuts me off on the freeway or do I want to be the person who prays for myself first and then then? Do I want to be the person who when my spouse says something idiotic, Tell them they said something idiotic. Or do I want to be the kind of person who says, I want to know And recognize my faults. Mark's looking at me going, well, I don't have faults. So. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened. Never happened. Whoa, brownie points. <laughs> I think... Jesus is going to say to us, live God's life. Don't set aside God's laws because God's laws show us what God's life is all about. By the way, I've come to write them on your heart so that it's not about doing what you have to do, but doing what you want to do. 
But if my challenge to myself and to you is that every moment that we have a decision is to stop and say, God, I have a choice. I have a temptation. God, I want that. I want to be like that. I want to do the wrong thing. But I want you more, God. And God will be working with us to will and to act according to His good pleasure. His righteousness in us. One day we get there in front of the throne of God and we'll look at us and go, wow, that's incredible righteousness you got there. And we'll go, thanks.